This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 Sunday side session. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Sam McEwen of the Omaha World Herald. We're going to be diving into Nebraska's loss on Saturday to Minnesota. Uh, a game that felt both at times different than what we've seen from Nebraska this year and all too familiar. Sam, I, I was trying to craft how I wanted to start this, and I don't know that there's any way that you can start a reaction podcast, a reaction story, a reaction conversation to this Nebraska-Minnesota game without immediately starting with the decision-making Nebraska had going into this game at quarterback and then throughout the game at quarterback. And so I, I, I want to go back to, to last week. Did you have any indication that they considered anything other than Chubba Purdy for Saturday if Casey Thompson <laughs> wasn't going to be ready to go? <laughs> Well, I mean, not really. No, I wasn't there on Wednesday when, when Whipple was talking, but I think there was – how do I put this? I think within the within the program, there's probably a, a sense of if we could do all of this over again, we would probably have taken a different trajectory with how we manage the offense and the offensive coordinator. But they're, they're quite a ways into it at this point. And this is kind of where they're at. And I, and I think there was, there was a, a, a sense of like, well, we, we didn't, we didn't do this kid. We didn't do right by this kid last week because we, we put him in there when he probably wasn't prepared. And so he deserves the opportunity um, to at least have the chance to, you know, to uh, make up for it is not the wrong right word, but have a chance to, to have a full week of preparation. So the initial decision to put him in last week was, not a good one. And, and then it was, you know, doubled down on, uh, by, by starting him. Now, again, they, the, the package they had for him early on was pretty effective. We can't argue with it. I mean, they scored 10 points on the first two drives, but then teams adjust, you get past the initial script and all of a sudden he's got to try to throw the ball on third and seven. And it's pretty clear. He, he just not there at this time. Um, he's not there yet. So, um, I'm sure that was abundantly clear to them after, you know, uh, two or three drives in the first half, why it took as long as it did to make the replacement. I don't know. Then when Smothers goes in again, he falls, he falls two yards short of a first down and he's yanked just like last week. And, uh, and then we've got to go through a couple of other, you know, I think two more drives with, with Purdy 
He was pulled after the interception, which was a very, very bad decision. Uh, so, you know, I think there's an internal logic that gets going. This is the number two. He's the number two guy. He, you know, we played him last week and it wasn't fair to him. We have, we owe it to him to give him a chance to play the full game this week. So there's just an internal logic that builds on itself. And that's how they got to that point. Um, Logan, unfortunately, you know, I think hasn't been given as much of a chance as he should have. Yeah. I, the, the thing that I keep coming back to, and obviously we don't get to watch practice is I, I wonder, you know, you listened to Mickey Joseph talk last week. He talked about um, the, the anxiety and, and sort of the panic that, that, Chubba was in against Illinois and that he almost seemed to indicate that that wasn't what they would see during the week when he's going through reps and everything. And so I, I, you know, trying to, trying to rationalize it going into Saturday, it's like, well, maybe, maybe Chubba Purdy's just been the better practice player. And, you know, that's, that's a thing that happens and, and maybe that's the case, but it just really felt like you got off of those, the, the first two drives and really that second drive, a lot of it was kind of, you know, improv from him, just escaping two mm-hmm. pressures, picking up some big yards that way. They got another chunk play uh, somewhere else, and and they're down there inside the 10. And at the time, I mean, you're thinking maybe Nebraska has the answers for Minnesota's defense. And it just immediately goes away after that. And I just – I'm baffled by how you can watch the second half of last week and then – how everything sort of goes after that second, third drive and, and just continue to put him in that situation. Like it's such a, it's such a disservice to the other players on that offense. I mean, and some of it is, is so obvious. I mean, you have people in the press box pointing it out. I'm sure the fan side too. He doesn't even drop back with normal steps to pass anymore. I mean, on, on third down, he's just, it's almost like there was a magnet that was pulling him to that East sideline in a weird kind of shuffle motion. And so, you know, that takes away half the field. It takes away any vision he might have to his left. And, you know, you just wonder if he's going to make the right decision to get rid of the ball versus try to just chuck it. And sometimes he chucked it and Nebraska got lucky and they dropped a couple. And other times, I mean, you know, the, the last throw that he had that went for an interception. I just, it, it was stunning to me that they just continued to allow that to go. And then, you saw the conversation on, on Twitter. It certainly was all over my message board. I mean, there's almost a way to ignore it. Is that on Mickey Joseph that he just continued to put Chubba Purdy out there? I mean, it, it, the general thought process is that Mark Whipple is is aligned in that decision. But at some point, doesn't Mickey just have to make that call himself? Yeah, he's the head coach. It's hard when you're an interim. You feel like, uh, especially when you were working – for the offensive coordinator at the beginning of the season, and now you're basically his boss at a temporary basis. Um, that's very that's a very tough position to be in um, on some level, though. Yeah, I mean that's if you want to be the head coach of a team, and I think he does want to be the permanent head coach at Nebraska. You have to find a way uh, to um, make head coach decisions. You fired Eric Chenander. Uh, there was no hesitation in doing that, um, and and although I think. The defense certainly had performed very poorly over the first four games of the season uh, that Shenander was was at the helm. Um, I don't think he made any decisions that are similar to the egregious decision last week uh, to play a guy that wasn't prepared to play. It was obvious. And then after the fact, it's like, well, he was hurt, so he didn't prepare. And it made no sense to uh, 
to play Purdy. And then I think there was also a, a misunderstanding or miscommunication last week of who was going to play, whether it was Smothers or Purdy. Um, so I don't think Chenander did anything to that extent. Um, so, you know, if you're comfortable firing the one coordinator uh, and um, for things that I don't really think were, you know, like immediately fireable things, you just wanted to move on. That's fine. I think you have the autonomy to, to make a move with, with the offensive coordinator, not, not to fire him, but to tell him what to do. Like, you know, there's only four games left in the season. You just tell him what, tell him what you want and go with that. And um, it feels like they, they, there was just too much waiting there. There was too much uncertainty and, and too much, whatever you want to call it. And as a result, uh, things just got, got to where they are. And, and uh, I don't know, like I, yeah, the, the players were done a disservice. I think Smothers has done a disservice over the last week and a half or game and a half, and and I think the fans are better too. And, you know, I think the thing that I just keep coming back to over the last, um, I don't know how many games, the last three for sure, it's just like, you know, Bresk fans deserve better. They just do. They they deserve better than what than the game strategy that they've seen. Um, I understand they were through for a lot of yards at Purdue, but they, they deserve to have a, a, a team that, that feels like it's playing uh, in a logical way. And, and, and to be very honest with you, I just don't, I just don't consistently see that. I, I don't think that the rigor has been put into the, the offensive development over the course of this year. And, and, um, and I think you're seeing it. So I don't know what, a, I don't know what a cohesive offense would look like, but I don't think Whipple is, adequately developed other quarterbacks. I don't think the offensive line has been adequately developed. I don't know if they like what they're doing. Um, and it's clear to me that in practice, there aren't enough players who are getting time on the field because it shows when, when backups go in. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we will just kind of stick with the offense for now, and then we'll dive over into the defensive side of the ball. Anthony Grant is probably his best game since Indiana. Yeah. Um, you know, and so and it started big. I mean, the the six carries for sixty yards. Was there anything that you saw in there that Nebraska schemed up on the the opening drive, or was it as simple as? And sometimes, you know, we we make it more difficult than it is. Was it as simple as they executed? Uh, plays that they were expecting to run in, in that scripted portion right off the bat. They executed well. There, there were a couple of things that I liked that they did. Um, the first run for 36 yards was a, was a good run by Grant. Um, I think they had figured something out uh, about how Minnesota was sort of playing sort of a run, not a fit, but more like a run uh, game, uh, you know, uh, blitz, pressure. 
And so they, they found a way to get a gap where, where the, the safety was having to come up and make a tackle, which the safety can't do until about six yards after the line of scrimmage. So they did a nice job with that. And then they had a, they had a, you know, a couple of, of, of nice they, you know, they motioned Trey Palmer one way and Anthony Grant with an outside zone the other way, brought a guy over with him. Trey did uh, the touchdown run was a nice play where they had unbalanced to the right side. Um, a lot of guys over there with Anthony going that way and Chubba keeping and going to the left. And so they, they had some nice, they had some nice ideas there, but you know, Anthony's just a really good runner at the second level. He makes guys miss. He doesn't quit. Um, he, he plays hard. Um, he's, he's relatively good through the line of scrimmage, but he's also, he just, he just plays his rear end off when he gets after it. Uh, I would love to see him throw him the ball more, not, not in screen classes, but just, you know, out in the flat, making one guy again, you know, one against one and see what happens. On Purdy's interception, what's interesting is that, you know, Anthony Grant's right there and okay, it's 15 yards, but he, he could have caught the ball and then had a lead blocker in Chancellor Brewington. Um, out right in front of him and he probably doesn't make the first down but he might you know it's a lot better than what they said what what Purdy did I mean it probably they probably would have gained 10 to 15 yards so it would have been an interesting play um but but I think they view I don't know uh so Anthony Grant I thought played well I thought the run scheme early was good but you know Minnesota adjusted and and Nebraska doesn't they don't just blow guys off the ball so you know you can't you can't do some of the things that uh, Michigan does, you know, it's just, just harder to do. And they don't, it's clear to me that they don't practice the run game with the uh, same amount of vigor that, uh, that some other teams do. And it, it shows in the way that it shows mostly just in the way they block and the way that the run game kind of plays out. Um, they, they only, they only, they're only good for so long. They tend to be better in first and first and second quarters. And then they wane as the season, as the, as the, the night goes on, and I thought we saw that again um, on on Saturday. They just they start okay, and then they really struggle once defenses adjust. It, it, so that's that's kind of where I was trying to, to set things up. Obviously, Mickey Joseph in his first go around as a as a head coach at this level, uh, but you have an established offensive coordinator that it, you know for for all of his warts, Mark Wibble's been doing this a long time. Why does it? it it's kind of feel like when they get away from the scripted stuff especially especially in the last few weeks they just you know you you used to refer to Scott Ross as kind of a pick a play offense because it didn't feel like there was a lot of setting things up does does that not also kind of describe what's happening with Mark Whipple right now like it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like they try to set things up for other stuff to appear later in the game anymore it's almost and especially when it's Casey Thompson and Trey Palmer's out there, then it sort of just becomes, you know, the panic button was Adrian Martinez for Scott Frost. The panic button for Mark Whipple just feels like, all right, let's just throw it up. Yeah, that's right. I think that's true. Um, you know, I, I, I do feel like Scott was getting more there um, last year, although it didn't, it didn't bear out the wins. I do think there was, they were trying to build some stuff. Um, but it didn't work. Um, this season has been really haphazard, in my opinion. Like it just hasn't. There's been a lot of. There's been some cool plays along the way, and and great individual efforts. Certainly, Trey Palmer had an unforgettable game at Purdue, and good for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would I would say that it doesn't feel like um, like a cohesive whole. 
Uh, now, there's a lot of teams I watch, and and uh, you know, I'll take like people talk about Bill O'Brien being Nebraska's head coach one day, and I don't I, I don't like what Alabama's offense does either, which is basically to ask the quarterback to to kind of get him out of a jam. <laughs> And they, they don't have a lot of cohesion and they have more talent than Nebraska. Um, so it kind of depends on what you're looking for in an offense and, you know, what you want to do. I like what Michigan does. I, I think they've got a, they've got a, uh, an identity, um, which that I appreciate. Um, I like what Illinois does. They lost yesterday, but I know who they are. I know who Minnesota is um, and they won. So I don't know. Like, I think there's just, there's that line that you got to ride between innovation and identity and the, the really, really good teams ride it really, really well. Um, you know, there's probably nobody who's more innovative than Andy Reed um, and his quarterback is equally innovative. Um, and sometimes that's burned them. And sometimes that's been why they won, why they won games. So, um, you know, he's probably the best, template I can think of, of a, of a head coach who, who wows you and then infuriates you on the flip side of the coin, you know, there, there are offenses in the NFL and college where you know exactly what they're going to be. And uh, that, that either comes through, you know, exactly what the 49ers are going to be. I, I really like their offense uh, with, with Kyle Shanahan, but my, my sense of, of how you do those things is, is challenging if you don't have the offensive line uh, that's able to pull it off. And, and unfortunately, I don't know that Nebraska has that. I, what I would say is that um, there's an issue with – I don't know enough about strength and conditioning. It's something I have to learn more about. I think Nebraska has moderate strength. I think that the fluidity and flexibility of the offensive lineman just isn't what it could be or has been. And by that, I mean I go back and watch Nebraska in 2010. Um, Barney Cotton was coaching the line. Mike Caputo is the center. Um, that's, a, that's a lot better offensive line. It just is. It's more, it's just, they just run. I mean, they can run better yeah. for one thing, but beyond that, they're, they're more athletic and 12 other things. So, um, and they block better. So you got to get back to that. And, and Nebraska's too far afield of where they used to be, which is dominant on the lines. All right. Let's switch to the defensive side of the ball as we're uh, closing this thing up. Bill Bush took over for Eric Chenander. Uh, Nebraska's defense has shown, I think more so than the offense, the ability to kind of adjust to what a yeah. team has done sort of throughout. However, a little bit of a curveball for, for Bill Bush as Minnesota's backup quarterback, Ethan uh, Kalikmanis. I don't know if I pronounced that completely right, but yeah, you got the old it. college try. Uh, he comes in and immediately feels more dangerous on the RPO. Do you think the bigger thing was that it felt like he had the ability to, to grab more yards running than Tanner Morgan? or that he was more willing than Morgan is to kind of just put the ball up down there. And that forced Nebraska to have to respect a little bit more deep throws uh, in the second half. Yes. And yes, I think both are true. Um, I think Nebraska did not feel like it had to account very much for Tanner Morgan in that pocket. Uh, and they were not worried about Morgan running. They were not worried about Morgan throwing. Um, you know, Tanner Morgan is a, is a sharp guy and, Certainly, uh, you know, basically a doppelganger for for PJ Flack, I and mean, I think that's part of why he plays. He's a little, probably a lot like PJ, and will be a coach one day. Um, he he's hit a ceiling. He hit it a while ago, and uh, this this kid that uh, Kelly McManus, uh, Nebraska tried to recruit him a little bit. Um, he's from Illinois, I think, around yep. Chicago, um, and he's just 
You know, he just brought a variable into the game. Uh, a very different game, obviously, but reminded me of 07 Texas when when Nebraska had Colt McCoy. They figured him out, right? And the, it's 17-3, and Colt McCoy does not know what to do because they're blitzing the hell out of him, and he can't get away, and then he gets hurt, and a backup comes in, and that guy's a zone read guy, and then all of a sudden that guy and Jamal Charles go wild yeah. because Nebraska was not ready for that, and I think what happened with Minnesota is – yeah, he was willing to throw it up. He can he can move. He can get on the move better. Um, so he had a couple of he got out on the move and he threw a couple of nice balls. And I think Nebraska got a little. Well, we can't let them hit these deep passes, so we're going to have to loosen up a little bit. And the minute Nebraska loosened up just a little and they kept those safeties back maybe a little bit and didn't key as much on the runs. There's Mo Ibrahim, you know. And then when Nebraska's defense gets worn down. Uh, then it's harder to stop Mo because you you can't tackle him around as you know you're not getting as low anymore and so that's what happened I think they got worn out Mo Ibrahim carried the ball eight times in the first half he carried it 24 times in the second half that you know those those 15 through 24 carries he's just gonna he's gonna hurt you and you've got you've got to limit the number of times he gets the ball by limiting the number of times Minnesota has the ball and Nebraska's six three and outs in a row made that almost impossible and that's why they. Uh, that's why they lost. I mean, Nebraska got worn down and they got hit with a couple of big plays and Mo Ibrahim did the rest. I, I We're going to end on this and, and I appreciate your time here on, yeah. on Sunday morning. This is almost a sort of a two-part question because it deals with the short term, but also the long term. Is potentially one of the cons about Mickey Joseph being Nebraska's next head coach. And there's, I think, a real opportunity that that, that could play out. The fact that it, it feels like this program almost needs a fresh start to get away from the fact it doesn't seize the opportunity in front of it. I mean, you go back over these last five years, Nebraska's been in games like Saturday where they have the chance to put a team away and then suddenly they stop scoring. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, the sort of thing that goes against them and they can't just pull themselves out of it. Right. Or, you know, it's you go back to, to even a Saturday ago against Illinois it's nine to six and all the momentum in that game is with Nebraska. And on right. one throw to Ramir Johnson, things could absolutely explode against an offense that is even less equipped than I think Minnesota to come right. back against you. And Nebraska can't make that catch again, this past Saturday, multiple times, Oliver Martin makes that catch on a two, just, just getting out of the shadow of your own end zone and letting Brian Buscini, who had a hell of a day yesterday, Mm-hmm. And really gave Nebraska the best chance to play the Big Ten West style of football that they probably had all year with all of his punts. Right. Uh, and and Oliver Martin can't make that catch. Travis Volkolek couldn't make the catch over the middle. And I know he was hung out to dry. Mm-hmm. And then the game ends with Trey Palmer not making a catch. Like That's right. it, it just feels that this is built into the DNA, the fabric of Nebraska football. And I don't know that it's necessarily a Scott Frost thing. But it's like when the opportunity to come up with a play, to come up with something that allows you to just climb out and to, to be above your opponent, they just haven't done it. And, I, you know, Mickey's only been here for a year, but it, it just feels like it's so baked into everything about this program right now. Do you yeah. think that it, there's almost a value in just starting over completely? I think even if Mickey's the head coach, it's going to feel very close to a start over. Um, I, I mean, I, I think there'll be a lot of changes in the coaching staff. 
maybe not as many on defense. I don't know. Maybe you keep Bush around um, in some capacity or coordinator capacity or whatever. But I think it would be very much a start over. I think Mickey probably looks at the roster and is like, yeah, this isn't going to get us where we need to go. Um, we're going to have to change what we do. Um, now, that said, uh, I would I would probably at this point say uh, Nebraska would be better served by going and getting a coach that has a very different context than what we currently have, uh, that we're currently looking at at Nebraska, and just, just remakes it in a lot of different ways. Um, there's been reasons why coaches up till this point have had a really hard time um, – you know, getting clear of some of the administrative muck. Um, obviously, uh, Bill Callahan had had a, a strike and a half against him when he got here, and then he didn't help himself in some ways. And in the ways where he did help himself, he didn't get a lot of support from people outside the program. Uh, Bo Pelini, you know, burned himself. You know, he he had his own personal issues, their personal traits that that held him back. Mike Riley never had a chance, never had a chance. But he also didn't know how to say no. So, yep. you know, Mike, Mike didn't know how to say no. He didn't know how to keep people from meddling. And Scott had a unique challenge, too. Um, Scott, Scott also struggled at times with saying no. But the thing that Scott had to deal with that Mickey would have to deal with a little bit is this is the former player thing. And it's it's a thing. And yeah, I, I think that the former Husker players are terrific and. And, and obviously have earned the right to be around the program a lot, but there's just an extra pressure that goes into being a former Husker and also being the head coach. And that there's just a kind of access that is expected that you're expected to give. Like you're, you're the representative for everybody that played for T.O. or Frank, uh, not the rest of them, <laughs> but everybody before, you know, ever before Callahan, it feels like. And so um, there's an extra thing that goes along with that. And, and Mickey would have to navigate that like really well. Like he'd have to set some pretty clear boundaries and go, this is, this is, I'm running the program. You're not running the program. I don't have time for this today. Got, got to go. Got, got to, you know, get it. Love you. Got to run this thing the way I see fit. Um, if you bring in somebody from outside, they're going to run it the way they're going to run it. And, and that, that might be, that might be advantageous at this point. I just feel like Nebraska does not consistently make the plays they have to make in the moments they have to make them. Uh, I get all that. I think that's what happens when you don't have dominant offensive and defensive lines. I think you have to build a program that is very much about the three yards on um, the right and the left of where the ball starts on the line of scrimmage. You have to, you have to build it there. Um, and I'll just give you an example. Brian Kelly's not coming to Nebraska, obviously. Um, but I'll tell you what Brian Kelly has done. And people, he, he, he is a personality that I don't know that I would like to be around as a reporter. But his two teams, and he has two teams, right? Uh, LSU and Notre Dame, because he left Notre Dame. But he built that. He built that. Marcus Freeman has only been there two years. So it's Brian Kelly's team. And it's LSU, you know, it's not his talent, but but they went and beat Alabama last night. Those guys play on the line. They play on the line of scrimmage. And Notre Dame kicked Clemson's ass. They kicked their ass. And I watched both games, and LSU held their own. And they won the game by one because they got a good quarterback. And, you know, there's some other things they're doing, and they got a little lucky, but they won. But the thing that you watch on both those teams is, is they're set up for some success because their linemen can play. 
And I think he has something to do with that. And I think whoever Nebraska's coach is, whether it's Mickey or somebody else, those guys better, those guys, they, they better, they better prioritize that and get away from worrying about the corners and the receivers and the quarterback. Those are all important pieces, but you will not win in the big 10 that is now or the big 10 that is in the future, unless you have a culture that is built on your big men being your best men on the team. And uh, you watch USC and UCLA, USC is a little whatever, but UCLA is built that way too. Chip Kelly, for all of whatever, he, he's built a team at UCLA that plays on the line. And Oregon plays on the line. And Oregon may end up in the Big Ten. We'll see. Um, so you, you, better, you, better, you better develop that stuff. And somehow Nebraska's gotten away from that. With all the bells and whistles they have and all the nutrition and whatever, I don't know. Chafe, I just I, I look at their line play and I'm like, this isn't what I grew up on. It isn't even what they had 10, 10 to 12 years ago. And I'm no. well, and that's that's sort of the amazing thing is you, you know, you don't have to go that far back in recent memory of people <laughs> complaining about offensive linemen that would be significantly big upgrades. It also went on to oh, the yeah. NFL, too. I mean, there was some real talent there. It wasn't like it was just uh, pieced together and, and luck. So. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we uh, we at Husker 24-7 appreciate your time stopping by here on the Sunday side session. You can, of course, catch all of Sam's great stuff at the Omaha World Herald. And be sure to check out everything we got going on at Husker 24-7. We'll be back this week with a couple more podcasts as Nebraska prepares to head to Ann Arbor and Michigan. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo. And they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.